This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we do love you and thank you. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your steadfast love, your unending mercy. Lord, your, your power, power to change, power to preserve. Lord, power to glorify. Sinners become saints because of your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for your word and look to you tonight as we look at this passage and we pray that you grant understanding. May, may we come away from, from this passage with a better picture, uh, better understanding of you and of your character, your love for us, your faithfulness towards us, and Lord, your power, you will accomplish your will. Again, we thank you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians verse 9. I just want to kind of meditate on a few things here. Um, picking up where we, we left off this morning, this morning we, we stopped in this verse. We, we read verses 4 through 9, which I'm going to do again. And then we stopped here in the midst, middle of verse 9, first part. Verse 4. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you... got yourself where you are. And what, what I mean by that, I mean what I'm thinking about specifically here is just, just being in Christ. Say what we call saved. Regenerated. If you're in Sunday school this morning, we looked at um, Ezekiel 36, the promise of a new heart. We talked about that. That's, that's the... The new covenant experienced, realized in this age and by every believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. From a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. From sinner to saint. 
from God-hater to lover of God. Enemy of God to friend. Foe to son. How many of you got yourself where you are? This is one of the points, as I mentioned this morning, that I think Paul is driving home all the way through so far with his address in verse 1, his God-centered, Christ-centered address, verses 1 through 3, and his thanksgiving, God-centered, Christ-centered thanksgiving for what God is doing in the church of Corinth, what he has done, what he's doing, what he's going to do for the Corinthians in verses 4 through 9. And the Apostle Paul lays all of the credit at the feet, as it were, of God. It's all the way through. Of God in Christ. Of God in Christ. Of God in Christ. And he merely presents the Corinthians as the ones who benefit from the workings of a gracious God. Now, he says, we, we talked about this morning, uh, aspects of his grace, past, present, future, and Paul's confidence. He's, he's speaking here to a church that he considers to be authentic about grace that they have. In other words, God has graced them about authentic grace. It's not feigned. It's not pseudo-Christianity. And this includes everything from, um, from their, their knowledge, their, their words, their knowledge, to their gifts that he will talk about later. He's, he's confessing here the authenticity of the Corinthian experience. And all the way through, giving God the credit for it. I thank my, I thank God, or I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace. That's verse four. Because of the grace, the gift of God, like we talked about this morning. The gift of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. It's of God in Christ. Never, never otherwise. Not, not then, not today. Of God in Christ. Every, every benefit we know, every grace we know, is of God in Christ. That's why Jesus said, um, no man comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't just mean, you know, that he's the, the ticket or something like that. The only way to know God's favor, the only way to know fellowship with God, the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. Of God, through Christ, or in Christ. In Christ is used repeatedly here. So he says, I thank God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you. That is, you received it. He'll talk about that in chapter 4. You, you received it. It was given to you in Jesus Christ that in every way you were enriched. That is, God made you rich in Him. In Christ, that is. In all speech and knowledge or utterance and knowledge. The word speech or utterance there is the word um, lagos, 
Uh, same word John uses in John chapter 1, referring to Christ. But a, a common word for, for our word, our word, W-O-R-D. So in all speech and in all knowledge, God has enriched you, made you rich. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You see, he's, he's saying it's, it's true. God has graced you. God has blessed you with spiritual gifts, uh, even though um, um, the term spiritual is actually not here in the Greek. It's just you're not lacking in any gift, but um, because of the context, the translators supply it, and we'll see why later. So that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, God graced you in the past in that he, he, you were confirmed. The grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ and was confirmed. The testimony about Christ, the gospel, was confirmed among you. And He's graced you in the present, this present age, in that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. So while we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus to God, uh, our God has gifted the church in part as an evidence of the reality of His grace. And Paul says you're not, you're not lacking at all in this, in this. And, Again, it's uh, waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ and who will sustain you, that is, God will sustain you to the end. So He's graced you in the past, He's gracing you in the present, and He will grace you till the end, all the way to the end. That is the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm thankful for this. I thank God for the grace of God that was given you. Or if I could paraphrase it this way, the grace that was given you is given you and will be given you to bring you to completion. It will sustain you to the end guiltless. That's an amazing statement right there. Paul is saying, you, you Corinthians, are, go- are going to at the last day appear before the revealed Christ and the the verdict is going to be not guilty. When we stand before Him on that day to be judged like everybody is, the verdict will be not guilty. Now, we ought to marvel at that because we know who we are. <laughs> and this, this promise and this confidence, I think, is extended to us. But surely... We're going to marvel at that too as, as we look at the Corinthians, as we go through here. Are these, we get over to chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Hey, are we going to, we're going to be thinking, are these the same people Paul was talking to in chapter 1? That he was so convinced God's grace was evidence in their life? Are these the same people? They are the same people, and, and Paul knows this at the beginning of this letter. I mean, he knows what he's about to do. He knows what he's about to talk about. He knows what's going on. Verse 11 tells us he's been receiving reports. He knows what's up in the Corinthian church. And nevertheless, he testifies that they are indeed an authentic church, that God's grace upon them is genuine, and that the gifts that God has bestowed upon them, the gifts that they experience, um, are actually proof, evidence, witnessable, observable evidence of God's grace 
toward them. And so you, Corinthians, he says, will stand guiltless. He will sustain you or confirm you, really. is that it's, He will also confirm you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned this morning, that's a, that, that part of verse 8, first part of verse 8 is a reference back to verse 6. Um, the testimony of about Christ was confirmed among you, and then verse 8 says, He will also confirm you to the end. So, uh, the gospel was confirmed in them, will continue to be confirmed in them all the way to the end, so that they stand guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want to focus in on tonight, where we ended this morning talk a little bit about where uh, where this winds up and I mean how and how it winds up here's here's the key to it right here in verse 9 God is faithful what I'm, what I'm saying is this and this is what we closed with earlier Paul's Paul's confidence is not in the Corinthian church because he knows they didn't get where they are in other words, they didn't become believers by their own power. He knows they didn't get where they are by their own power. He knows they didn't get the gifts that they have. The spiritual gifting that he's going to talk about later that is operative in the Corinthian church. He knows it's an evidence of God's grace upon them. In other words, it is the, the spirit, what we commonly refer to as spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because the gift, really, is God Himself. And so what we think of as, as spiritual gifts are just ways that God manifests Himself in His people. Ways that He empowers them. Ways that He uses them. Ways that He edifies them. And I think Paul is saying plainly up front that all of those things are witnessable evidences of God's grace upon them. And so Paul is even confident enough to look to the future and say, you know what, he's going to get you all the way home. That is, his grace is not just for the past. It's not just for the present. It will carry you through all the way into and through the judgment day so that you are presented before Him guiltless. How do you know that, Paul? How, how are you so sure about that? How can you have any confidence, Paul, in these, that, the, that these Corinthians with all of these problems can spend eternity with the Lord. How can you be confident, Paul, that you who once were a blasphemer can stand before the Lord guiltless? And I think this is Paul's answer. God is faithful. God is faithful. <laughs> he who began a good work in you, and he's clearly demonstrated that, the work has begun, what we talked about this morning, past, it began. Present, it continues. And it sustains us 
And in future, it comes to completion. God is faithful to bring all that about. So they didn't, they didn't get where they are as part of the church, part of the body of Christ, by their own doing, by their own power. It was through the working of God. And they're not going to get to completion by their own power, by their own doing. It's going to depend on the faithfulness of God. God is faithful through whom, literally, through whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. This seems to be a... This, this, this word called here seems to be a, uh, uh, another favorite of Paul's here in this, in this letter. I mean, he puts a lot of emphasis on this. For good reason, I think. True, for one thing. <laughs> they were called. Um, but, it, but again, the idea, like in the first chapter of Philippians, he who began a good work, We'll continue it. The idea, like it is here in 1 Corinthians, He who confirms you will confirm you. He who graced you will continue to grace you. He is faithful. God is faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. Now, how did you get where you are? You were called, what he says to the Corinthians. It's a reminder here. This this is a reference to salvation. The salvific call. Come. Come to Christ. I mean, but I'm not, you know, not merely by a man. Paul certainly did uh, issue that kind of a call. No doubt, when he went into Corinth, you know, believe on Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, something to that effect. But what he's talking about here, he's saying is something beyond that happened. God, who is faithful, called you. The faithful God through whom you were called. That is, He, he summoned you. How did you, you get where you are? God called you. Now, think about that for a moment. Where were you at and what were you doing when God called you? If you go back to your salvation experience, you know, what we, we think of as, as the point when we were regenerated, we, most people refer to it as, you know, I was, I was saved, uh, whatever date. What were you doing when that came about? Who took the initiative? You might say, well, you know, I heard uh, Billy Graham preach and, uh, you know, I was in the stadium and I, and, uh, you know, I, I, I got up and I went down when he did the altar call. Okay, but something happened to get you in the stadium. What, what got you in the stadium? Why were you there? Something stirred up an interest. I, mean, I just think about my own, I know everybody's experience is, is a little different, but I just think about my own experience, and one thing that I was not doing was pursuing God. 
running after after God. I was I was going another direction. Away from God. It's more like Jonah, you know, when, when God says, although Jonah was already a prophet at that point, but it's similar. When God says, you know, you go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, well, I think I'll go this way. <laughs> well, why did Jonah do that? To flee the presence of the Lord. Or more like Paul, Saul rather, Saul of Tarsus, on the Damascus Road, persecuting the church, and all of a sudden he's interrupted. And there's a call. Saul. Saul! Moses is just tending sheep, you know, in the, in the desert. Just kind of minding his own business, so to speak. And all of a sudden there's a burning bush that's not being consumed out in the middle of the desert. He was tending sheep. He wasn't out there looking for a burning bush. He said, God, show me, give me a burning bush that you'll speak out of. But there, there was a call. And all, in my own experience, and I, you know, I think other people have similar, usually have similar experiences somewhat. My own, my own experience, I begin to see things differently. I mean, you're going, you're going one direction. Basically, you don't have any interest in godly things. You're not pursuing godly things. And then things start happening. Because you're, you're being called. You're being called. Let me just give you a few more examples where Paul uses this word in this letter. Um, first about himself in verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now, Paul was a smart man and he was an educated man. He was, he was uh, you know, a theologian. Pharisee of Pharisees, sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem, the famous rabbi. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't lay all that credit at, you know, Paul, an apostle, because this was my ambition and this is what I set out to do. And I achieved it. He doesn't say that. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. In verse 2, referring to the Corinthians, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That is, called to be holy ones. And then here in verse 9, we just read, you were called to the fellowship of His Son. In verse 24, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks. He's talking there about the, the gospel being foolishness um, to the world. It's not foolishness to those who are called. That's what Paul's saying. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were Wise according to the worldly according to worldly standards. That's that's kind of. I mean, it doesn't sound like a great word of encouragement. You know, Paul's baby. Look around you, brothers and sisters. Not a lot of smart people among you. 
<laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> but your call. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 17. But as God has distributed each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. In fact, let me, let me read a portion of this because he's talking about um, um, where you're at, when you're called, when you're saved, is the idea here. Some married, some not married, uh, some slaves, some free. Um, different people called in different situations. 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I might need to back up just a little bit here. Verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he cons- consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her children. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But, that is, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, uh, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And I, I looked at that one earlier and I thought... Um, and I almost didn't read that one because I thought, well, you know, that's not talking about salvation. But you know what? I think it is, actually. I mean, I mean he is talking about um, being saved. You have been called to peace. You were in whatever situation, married or single, when you were called. But you were called to peace. Verse 16, For how do you know how... For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call, uh, I'm sorry, verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. Well, that's good. I mean, we'll have to come back to that later, Lord willing, when we get to this place. But uh, (laughs) that's good stuff. Um, You were bought with a price. Verse 23. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So, Paul um, <clears throat> uses that word frequently, and it's, of course, used um, throughout the New Testament. But he's making the point here to the Corinthians God who is faithful, God is faithful by whom or through whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. So, how did, how did you get here? You were called. Wasn't wasn't because you were smart. He makes that clear. 
wasn't because you were at the top of the social you know, status, you were the cream of the crop. It wasn't because of your academic uh, abilities. It's because God called you. Called you. When you heard the gospel, that was foolishness to the world and maybe for a long time foolishness to you. But then God calls and you hear the gospel and it is the power of God unto salvation. So, how did, how did you get where you are? Not by your own power, not by your own wisdom, not by your own strength. It was all of grace. All of grace. You were called. Into what? <laughs> God is faithful through whom you were called into. Always like the prepositions. Through God. You were called through God. And you were called into the fellowship of His Son. So, He's saying you're, you're called into something. You're called into something that's bigger Bigger than you. And again, I think this is part of his setting the stage for all the arguments he's going to make because this seems to be a really me-centered group of people. And Paul's going to spend some time talking to them about what this is all about. Who this is all about, I should say. He's going to spend some time talking to them about love. What? What love is all about. Going to spend some time talking to them about edifying one another. So he's saying you you've been called into something. It wasn't it wasn't of you. You didn't bring yourself in, and it wasn't into you. It was into the fellowship. Of the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been made a part of something. You're a partaker. You have fellowship. You share in something. And boy, he's going to expound on that in chapter 12. <laughs> you share in something. That's a good thing even for us to remember as a church. We're just, we're just a tiny part. And even if we had... 20,000 members at Fillmore Baptist Church, I mean 20,000 attending members, we would still just be a tiny part of the whole. We're a part of something big. The body of Christ. We're, we're made partakers, sharers, participators in something that God is doing. And it wasn't because of our intelligence. It wasn't because of our achievements. It was just because of the call of God. He called us out of the world and into fellowship, the fellowship of His Son. Maybe He's, maybe he's um, preparing them for these next few verses when He starts talking about the divisions among them. <laughs> and so He's reminding them right now up front, look, you've, been, you've, all, you've all been brought into the fellowship of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You're, you're all sharers. John, 
uses this language is kind of unique and actually for Paul, but but John uses this language. You, you think of First John chapter one, for example. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete, full. I mean, it's not, it's not joining a club. It's being a sharer in fellowship with God and His Son. It's being a partaker so that John later says in chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, or some versions say, lavished upon us. Look, behold, see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. So we are, John says. Then he goes on to say, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Remember that? That's, that's another example of the already not yet we've been talking about. Paul says, you, you've been confirmed. The testimony of Jesus was confirmed in you. And yet he goes on to say, you will be confirmed. God's graced you in the past. He's gracing you in the present. He will grace you in the future by bringing it all into completion or unto completion. And so, John says similarly, we are now the sons of God. But, he goes on to say, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears... That is Jesus. When Jesus appears, at His revealing, like Paul talks about in Corinthians 1, when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So Paul says, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God because of His grace upon you. He has confirmed the gospel in you. He has enriched you in all speech and knowledge so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. And you'll be presented guiltless before the Lord when He is revealed. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a parallel, or there is a parallel in Philippians 1. 
He who began a good work in you, Philippians. <laughs> he who began a good work in you. You Corinthians, with all of your problems. He who began a good work in you, Church of Christ at Fillmore. He who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. You know why? You know why Paul can be so confident of that? Because God is faithful. One more verse and I'll quit here. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes how you're reading the different psalmist songwriters, in this case, uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah. And they'll be talking about the Lord one second and His attributes, His characteristics, and then, and then the next thing you know, they're talking to the Lord <laughs> in thankfulness. Somewhat like Paul's doing in Corinthians. I thank God. So Jeremiah says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then it's, you, you can see Him looking up to the Lord and saying, Great is your faithfulness. And that's where his hope is. He goes on to say, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for salvation for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah says his hopes in God. Paul says his hopes in God. God is faithful. How did you get where you are? God. He graced you through calling you, through changing you, through bringing you into fellowship with Himself and with His Son, Jesus Christ. However long you have walked with Him to this day, how did you do it? I mean, whether it was five minutes, that's, that's a miracle for any of us. Whether it was five minutes or 85 years, how did you do it? God is faithful. I mean, that's the answer. He, he graced you. How are we going to get home? How are we going to get safely home? You ever been on a long trip in a car that all the odds are against making a long trip? <laughs> and you wonder, how am I going to get home? Well, I mean, just if we were just like just to run statistics, all the odds are against us. I mean, when you take God out of the picture, but He's not out of the picture. How are we going to get safely home? How, how is this thing going to be brought to completion? 
same way that we got brought in, the same way that we've been sustained until now, God is faithful. Brothers, if y'all will come uh, and prepare, we'll uh, prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Probably not a better way to um, meditate on on, uh, God's faithfulness, His mercies, His long-suffering, loving kindness, gentleness. I'm going to read a passage also from 1 Corinthians here out of chapter 11. Uh, And then we'll pray. Paul writes to the Corinthians in uh, chapter 11, verse 22, or verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we want to express our thanks to You. Lord, that You are a father to the fatherless, husband to the widows, a lover to those who formerly hated You. You are our salvation. Lord, we want to thank thank You for what You have done for us in Christ Jesus. Setting Him forth as the propitiation for our sins. To bear upon Himself the totality of all of our sin and also the outpouring of the full measure of Your wrath in our place. You said, Lord, as we do this, we show the Lord's death until He comes. So, Lord, as we partake, enable us to be mindful of 
the great sacrifice made in our behalf. So great a salvation worked for us. And Father, we ask that You bless the juice and the bread in this time of family fellowship to Your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.